Amen. Good morning. I'm Joel, one of the pastors here, and it's good to have you. And uh, if you would go ahead and open up the Bible to Hebrews chapter 14. There is no Hebrews 14. We've been in it for a year. I feel like it's just the right place to go. Um, but we're not. We're going to be able to do something that really today is a pre- in preparation for a series that we're doing this summer called Break the Mold. Looking at some biblical characters this summer that really helped to break the mold of what we understand in terms of the life we should live, how we should be living out our faith. And it's going to be exciting to be able to do that this summer with you. Uh, But today we're diving into a passage, John chapter 4. Pastor Luke referenced it earlier. John chapter 4, open up the word. Are you ready for the word of God today? Yes? Um, John chapter 4 is a huge passage. And I want to give you some reasons why first. Uh, And even give you a little bit of a challenge. This week, here's my challenge. Uh, I want you to be able to walk through John chapter 4, take some notes on it. It's the woman at the well of Samaria. And I want you to link and I want you to compare it to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15 is very, very important. It's the lost sheep, lost coin, lost son, prodigal son. All right, that's Luke chapter 15. It follows Luke chapter 14, of course, but that's cost of discipleship. So he's talking about the cost of discipleship. Then he talks about lost sheep, lost coin, lost son. And the, the, the story of the prodigal son and the woman at the well in John chapter 4, what I'm diving into today, they help to paint a biblical worldview for us. That's language that we often use here, biblical worldview, and trying to make sure that we see the world through a biblical lens rather than seeing the Bible through a worldly lens. Right there, that's enough for you to chew on. Because what we end up doing is we see God, we see Jesus, we see the church through the lens of the world and what it's communicating and what it's speaking, rather than seeing the world through the lens of the word of God. And we have to see the world through the lens of the word of God. Why? Because that's what a biblical worldview is. If you have not been attending this church very long, you need to know that we, know, we believe that a biblical worldview is thinking God's thoughts about the issues of life. We've used this before. We want you to see it over and over again. And your responsibility, our responsibility as leaders, is to make sure that you're seeing seeing the world through a God-ordained view, a biblical worldview, is thinking God's thoughts about the issues of life. So when you think about any issue today, can you think of any political or social issues that we have today? Can you think of any? A few? Maybe here and there? You're supposed to see those through a biblical worldview, through a biblical lens, through the way that God is thinking about those things. It serves as the, as the foundation for everything that you believe, everything that you say, everything that you do. It'll impact how you worship, how you speak, how you conduct yourself on a daily basis. It'll impact the way you see other people, how you speak to other people, and the compassion and the love that you have for other people. So today's an important passage. Now, John chapter 4, I just need to acknowledge something. There's no way, you know how long it takes me to walk through any text. I'm not going to be able to serve it justice in in the full, but there are some big principles we do have to pull out of it. I, I prayed and prayed, God, do you really want me to try to do a passage with this much meat and potato in a week? And I was like, I can't do it. I need at least a month. He's like, you got a week. And I was like, that's rude. He's like, I'm God, you're not, shut your trap. Um, And so I'm going to do my best. John chapter 4, 
let me start with some background here. Because you have Jews and Samaritans. And we all know that Jews hated Samaritans. They despised them. Samaritans hated Jews. We need to know why. All right? Um, 721 B.C. All right? right the, the, I'm going to give you some, like, you're going to go home, talk to somebody about the message. If you share some of these things, you will sound smart for at least a moment. So write these things down. This is important for you to know. The Assyrians captured Samaria in 721 B.C. All right, so here are the Assyrians. They come in, they capture this region of Samaria. They end up deporting a lot of the Jews. Um, Babylonian, Babylonian captivity, all that type of thing. But there are others that are left behind. And the ones that are left behind, I'm making a very long story, very, very short. They ended up having um, relationships with foreigners who had moved into the area and they started to marry them, started to have a relationship with them. Um, they started to adopt a religion that was still their religion, but the, the Jews would say it was only a partial religion that was theirs. And so as a result, they were considered to be racial half-breeds. And it created this disdain for each other. I mean, they just... Do you remember, um, anybody grow up other side of the railroad track? Right? You know I'm talking about that whole phrase, oh, they grew up on the other side of the railroad. It's kind of like growing up on the other side of Chicago Drive, the railroad track right there. It's like everybody knows that side of the railroad track where the high school is in Jamestown. It's called the slums. Okay? <laughs> I mean, it's just horrible. I, I say it to make a point. It's not. It's awesome. And half of you are from there, so I love you. Um, but it's the other side of the railroad track. I, I grew up in a place that very much so um, the other side of the railroad track was a big thing. Pricing was different on housing there, everything. There are certain people who lived there, certain people who didn't live there. It was a very real thing growing up where I grew up. And yet that's nothing compared to the tension and the strife that was happening amongst Jews and Samaritans. Here's a map for you to better understand what was taking place. Uh, the, the Jewish people would often travel from, from Jerusalem or Judea. That's where Jerusalem is located in Judea, the southern region. They would travel up to Galilee, okay? Jesus, to even give you some more insight, Jesus began his messianic ministry, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, somewhere on the mountain. He's preaching that off of the Sea of Galilee, which is in the northern region. But they would have to go, what they would do is they'd often cross over the Jordan River. They'd go up and around because they didn't want to cross through Samaria. They would not do it. And Jesus, of course, is a Jewish rabbi. Jewish rabbis, they wouldn't, they wouldn't even speak to their own wives in public, much less other women, much less Samaritan women. Are you, are you feeling any of the tension yet? You following me? So what would happen is they would take off Jerusalem here, Question marks on some of these in terms of exactly where it is, but they found the well. Um, here they are, Jerusalem, um, and they would come up and around and go into the Sea of Galilee area with Capernaum at Cana. This is first miracle, water to wine, etc. All right? So this is what they would end up doing, and they would come across and over. Well, this is important and crucial for us, knowing that Jews despise Samaritans um, because they view them as ceremonially, as racially, as religiously impure. Wanted to have nothing to do with them at all. And that helps us as we jump into the Word of God today. So, will you please stand for the reading of the Word of God? 
And I'm going to have a portion of it, 13, 14, and 15. I'm going to stop there on the screen. I'm starting with verse 1, though. I just want you to listen. When we get to this passage, I'll make sure you know we'll all read this out loud together. Are you up for that? Yes? Thank you very much. Um, so here we go. Word of God. John chapter 4. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees, listen to this. When Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, that's John the Baptist. This, this is an important piece because they already, they were disgusted by John the Baptist because all the followers, and they're like, wait, what are you doing here? Well, that, Jesus was a forerunner. I mean, John the Baptist was a forerunner of Jesus, but it also drew greater attention to Jesus because they were already bothered by what John the Baptist was doing, and now Jesus has even more followers, and he's baptizing even more people, and all this is taking place, okay? He left Judea, Jesus did, after hearing this. He left Judea, and on that map, it was on the southern part, goes up to Galilee. He had to pass through Samaria. Verse 4, remember this. It says, and he had to pass through Samaria. They went around Samaria all the time. Why did he have to pass through it? Because it was ordained by God. You may think you have other options, but if God says to do something, there really then is no other option. If God says to do something, our response is, that's it. If God speaks it in his word, our answer is, that's it. So verse 4, it says, and so Jesus had to pass through Samaria. Why? Because God ordained it for him to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, or Sychar, and near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. This is where Abraham had first sacrificed different things. So this is important. Jacob's well is there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from the journey. Why? Because he's also fully human, fully divine, fully human. So yes, he was weary. From his journey, he sits beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. That means middle of the day. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, which is already like, why? They would come during the early morning hours when it wasn't so hot. This was the desert, hot, hot, hot. Right? You know that one day a year that we get over 90 and it's sweltering and everybody's acting like they're going to melt. I'm going to melt. It was like that every day. So they would come early morning, but this lady is by herself. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Now his disciples, it tells us, had gone into the city to buy food. And a Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, she knew the rules. She knew societal rules. She did not yet know godly, Christ-like values. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for me, a woman of Samaria, for a drink? Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Verse 13. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. 
but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. The woman said to him, say this again, Sir, give me this water. This is the word of God. You may be seated. So Jesus has been instructed, I believe, by the Heavenly Father. He has an ordained appointment by God to go through Samaria, something that Jews would not normally do. And he goes through Samaria, and he sits at this well. Middle of the day, as I already said, women wouldn't come. They would typically come together as a group, is what they normally do, early morning to get water. That already speaks a lot about who this woman is, that she's coming by herself in the middle of the day. The disciples go out to go get some food in the city. The Samaritan woman says, hold up, why are you asking for me for a drink of water? Wants to know why that is. Here he is, Jesus is sitting on this well, and here comes a Samaritan woman who, Jesus knew this woman was impure and unclean. Impure, unclean. And he says, I need to have a drink. Jewish rabbis don't speak to women, don't speak to their wives. I've already said it, much less Samaritan woman. They, don't, they wouldn't even be seen with them. And here's Jesus having a conversation. Can I ask you a question? Are you being led, even biblically and spiritually, in who you are as a believer in Christ based on what the society expects of you or what God has called you to? If Jesus lived a life based on what other religious leaders expected of him, things would have been very, very different. Jesus looks at her and says, give me a drink. This woman says, I'm a Samaritan woman. What are you talking about? And Jesus' response, he just cuts it. Did you know, I, I, I don't think that Jesus was very good at small talk. When we look at the word of God that we have, he just cuts to the chase every time, which I have mad respect for. I don't really care for small talk that much. I'll talk about some stuff like, okay, we can talk about like baseball or football or music if you want to, but I'm going to just move really quick to how do you think God feels about that, right? I don't think Jesus was very good at small talk. She said, hey, how can you ask me, a woman from Samaria, for something to drink? And Jesus answers, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is speaking to you right now, give me a drink. You've asked him for something more, and you would experience living water. Like, what? The woman said to her, sir, you don't even have anything to draw water with. What are you talking about? Sir, you have nothing to draw water with. Now, there's a few lessons. I told you I can't cover everything. There's a few lessons I, I want to make sure that you draw from this passage today. Because she looks at him and says, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. She didn't get it. Now, I don't blame her for not getting it. I, I think that she was already in a bit of shock from a, a Jewish rabbi speaking to her. I'm not giving her a hard time at all. But she didn't fully get it. 
I don't think some of us fully get what it means to have living water, even today, right now. I don't think we get it, because otherwise we wouldn't allow the world to dictate so many of our emotions and our feelings. Rather, we would allow the fact that we have eternal life through Jesus Christ propel us and thrust us forward to live a life differently than the rest of the world, and they would encounter a hope that they would be asking us about and going, how do you have so much joy in a broken world? And we would say, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. So I'm not getting on to the Samaritan woman. But I do think, because I, I think she's in a little bit of shock here going, wait, I'm still not wrapping my mind around this. You, you're not very good at small talk because you just told me that if I actually knew the gift of God and who's speaking to me and saying, give me a drink, that you would give me living water. What are you talking about? Woman said, you don't even have anything to draw water with. Here's the lesson you got to learn. We often compute our faith based on what we know in the physical. That's what she was doing. Right? We don't have spiritual eyes. She she went logical before anything else. This is a guy, a Jewish rabbi, speaking to her, saying, I'm going to get, if you knew who was talking to you and saying, I would give you living water. And she just goes, you don't even have a bucket. You don't even have a bucket. And you know that Jesus, I think Jesus is entertained by us so often. Because he's going, don't you know that I can move mountains? And you're worried about an old bucket? God's asking some of you to step into Samaria and you're going, I don't want to step into Samaria because you've never done that before and you have this guilt and this shame in your life and you think that if you step back into those areas that you're just going to be just devastated by it and Jesus is asking you to do some radical, some significant things and you don't recognize that God can provide for it and you're going, well, God, you want me to do these things? I don't even have have a bucket. And he's going, why are you worried about a bucket? Just be obedient to me and watch me work. Well, I can't tell my neighbor about Jesus. That guy doesn't even like me. I didn't mean to, but I knocked his mailbox over one day, and I haven't fixed it completely. Might be a true story with my kids playing Ultimate Frisbee. Not sure. (laughs) I I didn't tell this in the first service. Literally, I see my kid, and he's over in my neighbor's house trying to fix a mailbox, doing this with it, trying to put it back in the ground. I go, what are you doing? He goes, it fell over. Oh, Really? (laughs) It just fell over. You're walking by it, just fell over. Well, we're playing ultimate frisbee. Where are all the other kids? They ran away. <laughs> Cowards. And do we not get if God calls us to something that He'll provide for it? I can't tell you how many times I've experienced that. Sometimes God has just said, I want you to be obedient to what I want you to do, and then I'll provide for it. We want God's provision before we desire to be obedient. And yet maybe faith is desiring to be obedient and then trusting him to provide. And so often we compute our faith based on what we know in the physical rather than knowing what's possible in the spiritual
The woman said, sir, you have nothing to draw water with. The well's deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself. Now, just this passage I could spend a week on. Don't have time for it today. But it, she jumps in, and Jesus has to respond. And I, I wish I knew the exact tone. We don't know it from the original language. I wish I knew the exact tone that Jesus used with this woman. I do believe when I look at the words in Greek, I believe that they are words of warmth, of understanding, of compassion. And, and, he, and he jumps in and says, Everyone who drinks of this water, keep throwing your bucket down in there, and you, you're going to get it, and I know it's hot, and you need to drink. You're just going to get thirsty again. Right? One of the things we talked about at the men's conference, 500 men, it's so cool to hear them just worship. You know how cool it is to hear 500 men worship? Really what it boiled down to is we find fulfillment in the wrong place. So we don't walk in the Spirit because we're not walking in the Spirit because we find fulfillment outside of the Spirit. We try to drink from things that are going to provide fulfillment for us, and we have to keep drinking of them because they're temporary. Money is temporary, right? Pornography is temporary. You've got to keep coming back to it. And we keep looking for temporary solutions to an eternal problem. And he just looks at her, whoever drinks this water is going to be thirsty again. Don't you understand that? But whoever drinks of the water that I'll give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will be becoming him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Welling up to eternal life. She starts to wise up. Her response, I'll take it. Sir, give me that water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come back here to draw water again. She still did not fully get it. Can I ask you, where are you, from what water are you drinking? That's a good question. Where are you trying to find life and is it working out for you? Where are you looking for life? That's something that we have to ask. We have to go, wait, I'm trying to find fulfillment in things that are temporary. And so I keep having to come back every day to the same thing. And it doesn't seem to be working because you're not finding fulfillment. You're not finding life. And those things are eternal. And some of us are drinking water from wells that aren't even, they're not even good for us. They're contaminated. We keep drinking that water. We keep drinking water that's polluted and it's contaminated. And then we get sick from it. That's another lesson that we have to learn here is that the content that you absorb, whether whatever water you're drinking, the content that you absorb will always shape your worldview. And so what you put into your heart and what you put into your mind, the water that you choose to drink, the place from which you try to find fulfillment will largely impact your biblical worldview. And so if you watch a bunch of movies, 
right, that all had the same theme, guess what you start thinking? And then all of a sudden, rather than seeing the world based on a biblical understanding, you start seeing the Bible based on a worldly understanding. Well, if you are broken and that you live a life that's based on the world, you're going to look at the Bible and go, that's got to be wrong because that's not what I see every day. But if you look at the world based on what the Word of God says, you see the brokenness, you see the hurt, and you discover where life is found, Jesus. But we're drinking water that's contaminated. We're drinking water that is literally a good way to think about it. 3.6 million people every year die from water-related diseases. 3.6 million people every year die from drinking water that's polluted. And friends, I'm not talking about the physical water, of course, and neither was Jesus. I'm talking about the spiritual water. And there are too many people drinking polluted, contaminated water, trying to find fulfillment, and they don't understand the true life that is found through Jesus Christ alone. It cannot be found anywhere else. Stop drinking contaminated water. Because there we are, and we keep absorbing the wrong music and the wrong stuff, and it starts to impact you. I do not care who you are. It will impact you. Now, I'm not saying that we're to live as a refuge away from the world. You know that I believe that the church is a refuge for the world, not from the world. But we need to be allowing our opinions and our, our, our preferences and everything else that we see to then be shaped by the word of God because we surrender those things. We allow the word of God to, to see a broken, hurting world for what it is. We have to understand that. We are called to more. We're called to drink the living water. Guess what drinking is? It's an action. Something that we have to participate in. And some of us, we're being offered the bucket of water, spiritually speaking, and we're going, oh, I think I'm just going to hold it in my lap. We're going to hug it and squeeze it, but we're not going to drink it. But we need to take the action of actually drinking the living water, the spiritual water. Here's what the water from Jesus is. you got to know this. Three things very quick. One, if you look at this, he says, verse 10, if you knew the gift of God. So the living water is a gift from God. It's a gift here. You don't have to keep doing the same blasted thing every day, trying to find fulfillment, never finding peace and contentment. The water from Jesus is a gift from God. Verse 10. Another thing that we find out is living. He says, if you knew about this living water, this gift from God, he would have given you living water. It's living. Hebrews 4.12 tells us the living, uh, Hebrews 6.12, I'm sorry, tells us the living word of God is active, right? Well, he's saying, I'm, I'm alive, I'm active. This is the living water I'm talking about. The water from Jesus is living Again, very quickly, the water from Jesus is eternal. It says, you'll never thirst again. Verse 14 says, whoever drinks the water that I will give him will never thirst again. Will never be thirsty again. It is the eternal water. It wells up from within you. It's eternal. And so we have this huge promise about where we can find fulfillment, and we still choose not to drink. Now, just to add some chutzpah to this story. It's amazing already. But this is what it says in John chapter 4, 16 and following. 
I'm going to give you a, an abbreviated version. Jesus says to her, listen, I need you to do me a favor. Go call your husband and come here. And the woman says, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband. You've had five husbands, and the person you're living with now isn't even your husband. What you have said is true. And the woman says, sir, I, I love this. Jesus unfolds her entire life, and her response is, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. You're not even supposed to be speaking to me. You're in a region that you shouldn't be in. You're asking to share a cup with me. You just told me all of my history. I think you're kind of special. Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. This story... The reason I think it's so vital for us is here's a woman who truly, again, I'm not giving her a hard time. I think she was embarrassed by her past. Anybody been embarrassed by something you've done previously? Raise your hand. All of you raise your hand. Just You don't want to miss on it because I know that's true. And If you're not raising your hand, then I'm like, you're a liar. Anybody ever done anything in your life that you just wish nobody else ever has to find out about? Anybody ever felt humiliated for something that's happened in your life? We have good class participation today. I think this woman felt humiliated. I think she was broken. I think she was embarrassed. There's a reason she's having to come during the middle of the day, right? Not early in the morning with everybody else. Nobody wanted to be seen with her. And yet the Son of God, please hear this. If you've ever been humiliated, if you've ever been broken, if you've ever recognized it, you don't think that you can move forward from the past guilt and the shame that you have. I spoke about life last week. Some of you are going, well, you don't understand. I've had an abortion before. You don't understand. I've had five husbands or five wives. You don't understand. I've lost everything that I once had, and my children abandoned God because of my anger or I'm a drunk or whatever it is but hear me say this here's a woman who had lived a life that we would think is despicable and yet the son of God sat there and said I have living water for you I love you do you get that if a Samaritan woman can sit before the Son of God and recognize that she no longer has to live in shame and guilt, she no longer has to live according to who she used to be, but now she can become something different by the power of Jesus Christ, so can we. That's called good news. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why here, listen, not acting like you've never made a mistake is a problem. Recognizing that you've made mistakes and that you're a sinner, but you have grace is something we celebrate because that's what we all need. And so we claim that and it'll mess with you because there's no reason by worldly standards. Really, I walk through this text so many times. I'm like, I'm going to do it. 
I'm going to take the word of God, and I even went to a different translation. I was like, I'll go to a looser translation. I'll find something here. And which makes sense from the worldly perspective that Jesus would do this. I can't find a reasonable explanation according to the world that Jesus Christ would do this. The reason he did it is because God cares and loves absolutely everyone. And it changes your view toward everyone, even those who have been broken, those who have been humiliated. It does not matter. We need to see them as people who God loves. It does does not mean we remain silent to who Jesus is, though. We tell them about the living water of Jesus Christ, that there is more in him. We've got to have that posture as believers of Jesus Christ. Sir, I perceive you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem. This is verse 20 if you want to follow. I'm going to keep going. Woman, believe me, the hour is coming, he says. And she's like, hey, listen, you said Jerusalem's the place where I'm supposed to go worship. That's important because Samaritan. She's a Samaritan. She lives in Samaria. She can't even go to Jerusalem to worship at the temple. And she's like, what are you talking about? I can't even go worship. And you said the only place that I can worship is there. And Jesus is like, no, you don't understand. Woman, believe me. You already know that I'm a prophet at least. You're getting it. You're starting to wrap your mind around it. The hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you don't know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. He was a Jewish man, right? That, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. The Father is seeking people who will worship him in spirit and in truth. The Father is worshiping or wanting people to worship him not based on where you are geographically or whether or not you have sinned in the past. He's wanting people to come and to worship him in spirit and in truth. They recognize who they are without him and now they celebrate who they are with him. That is what Jesus Christ is looking for. We need to start crossing some railroad tracks. The woman says, I know that the Messiah is coming. And then here comes the big moment. The woman says, I know the Messiah is coming. looks at her and says it's me you don't have to be by yourself anymore in the middle of the day you don't have to live in that embarrassment and in that shame anymore I am he disciples they come back poor disciples they come back and it's just as they marveled at what they were listening to what they had seen couldn't believe it Jesus absolutely demolished stereotypes and racism and sexism like when the tax collectors and the sinners he started eating with them I think about Zacchaeus so many people 
And Jesus broke all of these cultural norms in order to show the love of God. Lesson number three. The love and the forgiveness of Jesus is greater than your sin. Amen? drink living water are you drinking the living water or are you dipping your cup into places the water's dirty and it's contaminated it's filled with disease and hatred friends it's time to drink living water So God, we come before you and we thank you for for life that is found in you. We thank you that we get to call upon you as our Savior and as our Lord, that you are the living water. And I know, I look out, I know so many of these friends of mine, these brothers and sisters in Christ in this place, and even those watching online and, and a different venue upstairs, And so many of us are living according to the shame and the guilt and the embarrassment that we've had in life. God, may it be no more for them. May they recognize that you are in front of them and you're letting them know that you are there and that you are the living water. They don't have to drink from anything else ever again. There is hope in Jesus. We celebrate who you are, Lord. And we worship you. Christ's name.